You're listening to the Sales Process Excellence Podcast with Michael Webb. Hello, this is Michael Webb. Some people focus on data and applying statistics to uncover causes and effects and systems thinking in order to create improvement in business. Other people focus on what does the customer value? How do we reach decision makers? How do we make value propositions that are so compelling they can't resist? In this podcast, we focus on both in order to create wealth for everyone. My name is Michael Webb. This is the Sales Process Excellence Podcast. And I'm just thrilled today to introduce you to a a longtime friend of mine uh, and co-consultant, Bill Z. Bill, welcome here. Thank you, Michael. It's great to hear your voice again. And uh, and it's been a long time since my first pilgrimage to see you in Atlanta. (laughs) So, So would you... Uh, please go through uh, for a minute or so and describe your background um, and what you're doing now. Gladly. Um, I started out my career in sales, and I was a down-the-street, straight-commission salesperson, uh, learning with Tom Hopkins and Kevin Davis and a lot of the greats. Um, Then I got my MBA, and uh, I ended up working after my MBA in finance for seven years. I I tell people those were some of the greatest years of my life, even though I was lying to myself because I I am not a CFO and I never will be, but I learned uh, the importance of keeping score in business. Uh, Following my time in in finance, I moved into Lean Six Sigma. That was my real passion, helping uh, successful leaders measurably improve business performance, business processes. I fundamentally believe that every business is a collection of processes and that every process is 80% waste. And using Lean and Six Sigma tools, whether we're talking about accounts payable or fermenting uh, things to make pharmaceutical products or whether we're talking about uh, producing metals or electrical materials or automotive, Lean Six Sigma delivers outstanding process value. What I noticed after having trained and coached 2,000 people in Lean Six Sigma was that leadership behavior is always the most difficult part of Lean Six Sigma. And about three or four years ago, I encountered Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, uh, a a global leader in, in leadership coaching, and was blessed to work with him in the Marshall Goldsmith uh, 100 Coaches project. And and my focus now is on helping successful leaders and their teams to measurably improve their leadership performance, which for me is is kind of the culmination. It's the biggest lever of driving value in business. Interesting. So so you, you left out a couple things. So you moved from the U.S. to Europe. Uh, how many years ago and, and why did that happen? Okay, that's a great question. Yeah, I'm I um I spent the first decade of my career in the US as an American and then I uh, moved to Germany in 1990. So I've been blessed to have uh work experience both inside the US and outside. Uh I deliver work in, uh, in German and French and enjoy that very much and uh I very much view myself uh 
as uh, as a global citizen. So now you live in, uh, where do you live now? I right now live in France, just outside of Geneva, Switzerland, where my business okay. is located. Okay. And then you also, this, this uh, Lean Six Sigma journey, um, you were with one of the notable firms for uh, a number of years, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks uh, for for reminding me. Yes, of course. Uh, and I've I've been blessed throughout my Lean Six Sigma career to to work really with some of the best and brightest. Uh, it all started in even before the George Group was was uh, where I really went deep on Lean Six Sigma. Uh, Michael George and and the whole team there uh, really took Lean Six Sigma to new levels, and I was blessed to be part of that in Europe. Um, but even before that, I was blessed to work with uh, Kazumi Nakata, who's a uh, uh, lean sensei from uh, Toyota. He was only two levels removed from Taichi Ono. I did that while I was at Delphi Automotive. So I got quite some insights into lean from, from him. And my Lean Six Sigma background goes all the way back to 1990 when I, when Michael Harry from uh from the Six Sigma Academy, or at the time he was at Motorola, came to speak at my MBA program. In fact, if any of the listeners would be interested, I have the original definition document of what is Lean Six Sigma quality from Michael Harry. He passed away uh, sadly last year, but I have that article. Uh, if any of your readers would be interested, they could reach out on my LinkedIn site and uh, send me an email. I'd be happy to share that. All right. All right. So, and and uh, uh, like full disclosure, you and I have done some projects together with clients in Europe, and um, I, I really enjoyed working with you because you you're not you're not limited by the manufacturing background, right? You grew up as a sales guy in the very beginning, and so had some insights into um, the the crossovers that I was trying to accomplish. And I think we absolutely and. I've really enjoyed working with you, uh, uh, Michael. You've, you've done a great job. Uh, your two books, Sales and Marketing, The Six Sigma Way, uh, certainly caught my attention early on. And then your Shingo Prize-winning book, Sales Process Excellence, again, um, are both rich uh, sources of insights for top-line growth that I, I really appreciate. And I have enjoyed uh, also our time working together. And uh, who knows? Uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll be doing that again sooner than we so, think. So, so you're so unusual because you've not only switched continents and switched languages and switched functions, right? From sales to finance to um, lean six sigma. That has to qualify as a as a, a different function, certainly a different kind of a business as a management consultant. Um, and now you're doing it again here in not – these switches, I, they're more like building, I think, rather than switching. Um, but you're, you're the lean six – I mean, the leadership work that you're doing now has to build on all that experience in the past. What are some experiences that you had that led you down this path to be so zeroed in on leadership? Can you just, do some prominent ones come to mind? Absolutely. And Lean Six Sigma um, works. And uh, I've, I've known that through being able to work and coach and, 
and train many, many successful leaders on projects as diverse as uh, improving the efficiency in accounts payable, you know, reducing the workload 43% in paying bills on 2.2 million uh, receipts a year, or helping a factory who suddenly got a surge of 30% more orders and they couldn't make them, and and using Lean Six Sigma value stream mapping tools, we were able to help the factory make 35% more product without any significant investment. Mm-hmm. Or um, our team was really blessed to uh, work with a leading global pharmaceutical uh, company, and they had a cost of goods sold of 25%. And McKinsey came in and helped them to understand that to be a successful pharmaceutical company, they needed to get their cost of goods sold down to 20. And as so, and it's the same whether we're doing leadership development or Lean Six Sigma, the beginning phases are always the most difficult. They require the most courage and the most tolerance for the ambiguity and the early, uh, the early learnings that in some people's thinkings are failures, but really they're the steps that move forward. So with this global pharmaceutical company, they had done one wave of black belt training and it wasn't going as well as they wanted there. They were a year into the program and they had had 20 uh, black belts. And I was blessed to be called in and do an audit. And um, when I spoke with their head of production, about 8,000 people at the time, they're much larger now, he looked at me and he said, Bill, why does it cost more money when your company trains a a black belt for our company than when I send someone to the Danish university and they get their PhD? I don't understand that. And I looked back at this executive and replied, that's a great question. It concerns me as well because our company wants to help develop a lot of these Lean Six Sigma problem solvers. So I I replied, based on what I've seen, and I was blessed to interview, I like to go deep on a company before I engage with them to make sure we're a good fit. So our team had spent uh, a week or two analyzing the situation. And I said, you're doing 95% of the things you need for Lean Six Sigma success perfectly. You're missing 5%, and that 5% is costing you 80% of the results. And he asked me, well, what are the things that we need to change? And I said, they're simple things. I'm confident we can work together to do them. The first one is um, when we select projects for Lean Six Sigma, They need to be the right size, not too big, not too small. We need to have a lot of uh, data. So we need data daily or weekly or hourly, not once a year. And we need them not to be a a solution someone's looking to implement. I said, uh, your leaders, we've talked to them. They're all reasonable. They all accept these guidelines. So we just need to give our master black belts a veto right and we'll get the projects defined right. I don't see any issue there. I said, okay, what else? I said, well, the managers of these black belts are extremely important in leadership uh, of the projects. And when the leaders 
don't follow their responsibilities, the project, the black belts have a huge challenge. So when I asked your leaders if they had been through the leadership training, they could all tell me the day. In fact, they remembered the food and the venue and everything. But when I asked the leaders, what are the three things that are most important that they do to ensure project success? They couldn't give me the answers I needed. I said, this is completely normal. It's, uh, it's just a situation where we need to have uh, some ongoing leadership training and coaching to help these leaders understand their roles. And we can easily do that. He said, okay. And what about the third thing? And I said, well, the third thing is Lean Six Sigma projects often focus on getting the best and brightest people in as black belts. And these, uh, these people you have certainly recruited. The challenge is the whole organization sees them as so valuable, and therefore they're pulling on, on them like crazy. So they're not finding enough time to do their projects. They're not dedicated. I said, we need to have black belts 100% dedicated from the first day of training. We made the three changes, Michael, and over the course of six or seven years with a few handfuls of, of consultants, we were able to train over 700 leaders, and the cost of goods sold for this pharmaceutical company dropped not only from 25 to 20, it went all the way down to 17%. Hmm. So, I, so I know Lean Six Sigma works, but the hardest thing with Lean Six Sigma has always been leadership. And when I learned that Dr. Marshall Goldsmith had been working with leaders for over 35 years, and he had done a study that showed that a process he's developed over these 35 or 40 years is so powerful, that so robust, that he had collected data from 11,480 leaders globally, and these leaders picked a leadership growth goal, and then let themselves be measured on it by their colleagues, fully 95% of these leaders who followed a simple process measurably improved. When I heard that, I thought, that's where I need to focus the next decades of my career. That's where I am today. So, so two questions. Um, why do you think that uh, leadership is the most, I mean, What's so difficult about it? What is it that, that trips people up? Leadership, the higher you go in a company, um, the more your comments become commands and the harder it is to get honest, genuine feedback. And every leader, every successful leader always has multiple areas where they can measurably improve as a leader with a significant return on investment for their themselves and their team and their company. What I find so sad is we can do a value stream map on, on a process in a business, and we can determine which three levers will dramatically improve it, and many companies are doing this. But what I don't see today is from the highly successful leaders that are uh, aware of 
what their uh, growth areas are. And it, it starts with awareness. And secondly, that they're not aware that there's a very simple process, highly time efficient, that takes only minutes a month that they can apply uh, by themselves or working with a coach that can help them to measurably improve. And these 20, uh, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith's written about 20 unacceptable leadership behaviors. And uh, this is also a list. Uh, I will uh, make sure it's available on my LinkedIn page. And if anyone has any questions about it, I'd be delighted to to continue to learn about these sure. areas. Sure. Well, that uh, that's a a, a great um, a great idea. So so there's a lot of leadership consultants, and there's a lot of people writing about leadership. Um, why Marshall Goldsmith? Ah, this is this is a great um, this is a great question. It it comes down. What fascinated me about Marshall were several things. Um, his focus on leadership being measurable, leadership growth being measurable, um, means that we're giving successful leaders a chance to continually improve themselves and uh, the performance of their teams. So the measurable aspect is one that's highly attractive for me. And when when we work with clients using Marshall's process, it's a very simple and straightforward process. And it's it's not optional. Either you, you do this and you accept it, or you're better off with another coach. And if you want to work with us, um, this is the process that, that we follow. And the process begins with a 360 assessment. This can be a combination of behavioral interviews that are anonymous and confidential, or it can be an online or combination of the two. But usually we, I recommend to always do the behavioral interviews. They don't take a lot of time, uh, half an hour per stakeholder for eight to 10. The leader then receives a, this confidential report, which goes to no one. It, uh, not shared with the boss or HR. It's only the coach and the leader. And the leader gets the report, which is filled with their strengths. And they recognize themselves. And then it's filled with their development areas. And the leader themselves, in collaboration with their boss, so if it's a CEO, they talk to the board about it. If it's, uh, if it's a director, they'd uh, talk to the vice president about it. Um, they pick one or two leadership growth areas. These could be be a better coach or hold others accountable or speak up better or become a better listener or um, be a better delegator. There's a whole host of, of areas that, that leaders can pick to work on. They pick one or two. And then each month, leaders go to their stakeholders, which would be six or eight people they work with closely, and they say, my name is Bill, and I'm working on getting even better at listening. Do you have a suggestion for me, please? And then they stop and listen, 
no judging, no comments, write it down and collect these uh, feed forward suggestions each month and sit together with a coach and make up an action plan and implement. After five months, we do a little mini survey and we see if they've improved. We continue the process uh, monthly with uh, feed forwards. And after eight months and 11 months, we do another mini survey and 95% of the leaders are improving. So, so um, <laughs> what, what are the crossovers between what you see in Lean Six Sigma and what you see in this leadership approach? Great question. The challenges in Lean Six Sigma are often the ones where we have behaviors getting in the way, where we're trying to engage more people, where we're trying to make Lean Six Sigma results more sustainable, where we're trying to engage more of the workforce. And leadership plays a very, very big role in keeping the workforce engaged in developing employees. And the crossover here is it has so many different um, facets, uh, depending on the leader and the context of the situation, which makes combining Lean Six Sigma and leadership coaching so, so exciting because when I have the benefit of understanding the business challenges and the benefits of uh, leadership change, it can be really rich. I can give you a few examples. Sure. Um, I'm working with a uh, very strong uh, young leader who's recently taken on a new team. And this leader is uh, very, very strong and directive, means it completely uh, in a nice way, but it doesn't always come across that way. And this has significant impact on the performance of his peers and his direct reports. And through this coaching process, we're able to help that leader become aware and work with his peers and direct reports to also help them get better at the same time, which results in people being much more engaged, which delivers much better business process performance. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. That's, that's one example. I, I, uh, I'm happy to share a few others. Um, another leader is uh, highly talented in uh, maintenance long career there and moves and is ready to step up to an operational role. And in that new operational role, the ability to hold others accountable becomes much more important. And and this is common in, in all leadership progressions. And this leader has, has picked the, that goal, how can I help uh, develop my direct reports and how can I hold others more accountable. And uh, by going to the direct report, um, he gets suggestions each month. And I, I have to be really frank, changing your own behavior is probably one of the hardest things you can, you can do as a leader. 
Um, and it, it's gut wrenching because you, when you try to change your behavior, the first uh, few times you change it, uh, there's no guarantees for success. And we know things are always popping up. So there, there's going to be a lot of failures along the way. Um, so it requires a lot of discipline to follow the process. But when we're able to ensure that we've got the discipline in, discipline in place to follow the process, um, it's, it's uh, one of the most rewarding uh, uh, pieces of work that I've been privileged to do in my career to, to see how these leaders grow and thrive. So, I mean, leadership has to begin with how you lead yourself, right? Absolutely. And so it sounds like what you're providing um, from what you've learned from Marshall Goldsmith is a, a, a pattern or a method for leading yourself more effectively. Is that fair? I think that's really fair. And I, I like the fact that you, you, you say a pattern or a method because and, and we do we have a number of tools that we use to help leaders make these changes in a structured way. Uh, and uh, one of the one of the tools we use are daily questions where we ask people, uh, did I do my best today to be a good listener? And I give myself a grade from one to ten. And Michael, you've known me for many years. Uh, um, and I was not always as good a listener as I am today. At least people tell me that many times. Mm -hmm. And changing my ability to listen over the years has been uh, humbling, <laughs> to say the least. Um, but at the same time, uh, this is a process that really works. Uh, so, so one way is uh, is doing these daily questions. Another way is using feed forward. Um, so what where I go, feed forward is a structured uh, way for two people that want to help each other to have a quick conversation that's highly time efficient. So if, if I was asking you for feed forward on becoming a better listener, I'd say, Michael, I'm working on becoming a better listener. Do you have a idea in our work together in the coming months of something I could do to to be a better listener? How would you notice that? Hmm. And then I stop. Then I stop talking and get a suggestion from you. And I do this with six or eight people, and I do this over several months. And getting feed forward is a little bit like playing a slot machine. It's quite it's quite fascinating. Sometimes you get a jackpot. And you get a suggestion that's worth a lot. Other times, you get a blank stare. And getting a blank stare also causes you to reflect about yourself. Um, but this feed forward is a, is a technique that, uh, that can also work in a two-way street where we, have, um, where we have the direct reports also asking their boss for suggestions. And this is when the change in an organization really, really picks up momentum. That's fascinating. So, there, the, these methods, um, they they sound like ways of making all this invisible emotional uh, 
um, flow or turmoil in some cases that's going on between the leader's ears and turn it into something that is more visible and more uh, concrete, actionable. Um, and so, I mean, all that is very consistent with the spirit of the, you know, lean six sigma kinds of tools. Um, I, I think it's, it's great. I, and, and I think that, um, anything that can help people be more clear, um, in their own mind and therefore more clear in how they're communicating with others and influencing others, uh, is going to be a big help. It's such a, I don't know, complex, amorphous. There's so many different opinions out there about it. Um, it sounds like this is worth investigating because it's a, you know, it's a clear, structured methodology. Um, what else would you say about it? And then, and then, uh, um, any other observations you might have about, uh, you know, the impact of this kind of thing on people and why they should investigate? Sure. In fact, you can look at leadership coaching as a kind of demic on yourself. That's, this is how I like to look at it. Demic, uh, sp uh, spell that out. Now, demic is defining, uh, defining the leader you want to be and then measuring how good you are as a leader and then analyzing some of the alternatives to improve your leadership and actually implementing those uh, in the improve phase. So testing, having the courage to test out new ways to be a leader, and then putting in place uh, a control so that you're measuring and making sure. So this leadership coaching has been applied to processes with great success. It's high time we started to apply it to individual leaders so they have the same benefits to themselves. When you ask what's the impact, um, I was blessed at, at, in one uh, in one of my jobs at uh, at General Motors for Adam Opel to actually receive some leadership coaching and and 360 degree feedback, and that had a major impact on me. But it was a point impact, and leadership is a muscle that requires continuous training. Um, and I'm. I like this analogy a lot because I'm a I'm a passionate triathlete, as you know. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> uh, next year I'll be 60 years old, and uh, I've declared that I'm going to do an Ironman distance triathlon when I'm 60, 70, and 80 years old. Except I picked one in Switzerland, so it's got about uh, about uh, 17,000 vertical feet of climbing in the bike and run. Ooh. But it, it's I believe that. With training, an entirely new level of leadership performance is possible today. And today, if you talk to athletes, um, you know, if you look at Roger Federer, how many years did he go without a coach? Or if you talk to a lot of top CEOs, um, all of these uh, CEOs today uh, uh, a very large number are working with coaches. Why are they doing that? Well, they've realized the benefits of having some structure 
and having an accountability partner and a coach to help them strengthen their leadership muscle. That's fascinating. Um, I, I think it's so amazing that we're taking this area that is always thought to be sort of like magic um, and we're turning it into something that is much more scientific and measurable and repeatable by defining what goes on between our own ears and how other people, by observing you um, and working with you, the coach, right, can make it even more visible and more understandable. And um, I just think that's fascinating. So, Bill, this has been really uh, uh, amazing. You're an amazing guy with the journeys that you've been on, and um, you're, you're starting to inspire me here with the uh, the triathlon. I couldn't believe it when you first told me you were going to do that a number of years ago. So, congratulations to you on that. I mean, there's a lot of leadership of yourself in in uh, uh, getting ready to do uh, such a strenuous thing. So if, if um, our listeners, if someone wants to learn more about you and get in touch with you, how would they do that? The best way, um, it would be just to reach out on LinkedIn. I've got my email address there, and, uh, and you can find various resources from Marshall there as well that you can download. Um, and just just send me an email, and uh, I'd be delighted to have a conversation uh, or or a discussion or, or ask any questions. As part of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches, I have a passion to to share what I know and pay it forward. So, if you're a like-minded thinker interested in and how we can even better develop leadership muscle in the future, I'd, I'd welcome uh, welcome the chance to have a, uh, an exchange. Super. Um, I really appreciate that, Bill. And uh, let's stay in touch. Let's do a, another podcast here um, maybe in a year or so and uh, see what you've learned since then. That would be uh, great if you're open to that. I would completely be open to that, Michael. And uh, it's always a huge pleasure to get the chance to uh, to speak with you. My goodness, we're uh, we're uh, living on different continents, and uh, but we still manage to uh, to learn and grow with each other. I want to thank you for for making this possible. My pleasure. The Sales Process Excellence Podcast is sponsored by Sales Performance Consultants. Discover how to improve your B2B sales with systems thinking at salesperformance.com.